many. Today we are talking travel. And this episode was actually one we really seriously considered doing uh, season one because of some experiences you had had with your best friend, Jesse, who we heard about uh, or who heard from in the friendship episode from season one. So this was one time when you guys went to New York City for New York Fashion Week. And uh, it was a less than perfect travel experience. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about this trip to New York? So I want to start out by saying that this New York trip was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, It will always be a highlight in my life and something that I regard as one of my most fond memories. Mm -hmm. But it definitely gave me a big harsh reality check for navigating the world um, beyond where I'm comfortable, beyond home. Um, and it gave me definitely a sense of, you know, not taking no for an answer and having to stand up for myself and be assertive in ways that I didn't really have to be before. Mm-hmm. So whenever you book a flight, and you use a power chair or any kind of mobility aid that is going to be flying with you. Um, You have to book at least 24 hours in advance um, the make and model of every single piece of equipment that is getting on the plane. And I booked a month in advance. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this this was a big, a big trip, a big opportunity to go to New York Fashion Week. It was your first, like, big trip from home, too. Yeah. And I was going to my favorite city. um, With your favorite person. Yeah, that I dreamt about my whole life. And I was finally doing it. And I was so excited. Um, But I was also so scared because, you know, everybody always tells you, like, you know, people are mean in New York. Like, it might not be accessible there. And a part of me was just like, you know, it's not really accessible here, too. And there's, like, things that I can't do here. Um, But a part of me was scared because I was scared I was going to go to this place that I dreamt of all these years and everybody was going to be right and it was going to be too hard and I wouldn't be able to do it. But um, navigating the city wasn't the hardest part of this trip. Navigating the airlines was more the difficult part of this process. Um, So when we booked our flight, we booked um, originally on a direct flight and when we got to the airport, um, they waited until 20 minutes before we were about to board. And somebody came up to us and said, ma'am, I just wanted to let you know you're not going to be able to get on this flight today. And I was like, why is that? And they said, your power chair make and model will not fit on the cargo um, the cargo door. Like it, it won't be able to get through. And I said, you know, I booked this flight a month in advance with the make and model. Like, I thought that was why I did that so that, you know, the airline would check and make sure that I wasn't booking on a flight that I wouldn't be able to get on. And they were like, oh, like, we just realized this. We're so sorry. Um, We can, the only thing we can do is, like, we could maybe get you on this um, departing flight that is going to Chicago first and then to LaGuardia. But they're leaving, like, right now. And so Jessie, she's like, well, you better stop it. So we get on this flight, and, um, you know, everybody's pissed because 
we're delaying their flight. But then we get to Chicago and Jesse specifically asked, like, you know, is her chair, go? how can we be sure her chair makes it onto this next flight? And they're like, don't worry, ma'am. Like, we're good at that. Like, we make sure that it's going to happen. And um, we finally get to New York at around midnight. And after we got off the plane, we go to claim our luggage. And I'm still in this, like, they put me from the aisle chair into this giant um, wheelchair that is like a transport chair, but it's mm-hmm. like literally six of me could have fit in this wheelchair. And I'm not sitting up very well. I haven't been in my wheelchair for hours at this point. And my wheelchair isn't just a chair that moves. It's a chair that is specifically molded to the contour of my body. It supports me in all the places that my muscles need the extra supports. And it also, you know, carries all the things that I need, like oxygen. And I didn't have that readily available to me. Um, So I was under oxygenated. I was tired. It was late. And we're waiting for our baggage and everything to roll out. And my wheelchair never does. And so Jess is like, I'm going to be right back. I'm going to figure it out. So she goes and asks people in special service if you know, where our our luggage is, where is my wheelchair? And they said, you know, we don't have another chair. Like, it must have gotten left behind. And so Jess automatically starts freaking out and is, like, hysterical. And I realize what's happening. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, how could this happen? Like, what are we going to do? And so they tell us, like, okay, ma'ams, like, you, we'll figure this all out in the morning. Like, just go back to your hotel and... I'm just like, I would love to, but I'm in a wheelchair, so I don't know how expect us to get there if I don't have a way of walking or, you know, doing any of that. So They didn't have your legs. They didn't have my legs. They literally left my legs in Chicago. And they didn't understand that. And they didn't... It was like they weren't really sorry for what they had done, and they they didn't apologize. They were just like, ma'am, like, you need to not raise your voice. And not only did they not have my wheelchair, but they didn't have any of my breathing equipment, and I can't go to sleep at night without that. Like, I could die in my sleep. This isn't like you don't have your shampoo. This yeah. isn't like I don't have the outfit I wanted or the shoes I wanted, like if they misplaced luggage. This, this is, I don't have my lungs. Your lungs. I don't have my legs. legs. These are body parts, pretty much, that they left in another, like, they left across the country. And I don't know where they are. I don't know... If they're lost, I don't know if somebody's watching it. I don't know. You know, this is a wheelchair. My wheelchair is a $60,000 piece of medical equipment. And it it can get broken. I don't know if it's broken. I don't know if it's not broken. And um, they just didn't understand what they had done. And um, it was just like they just didn't care. Um, we ended up going to the hotel in that giant aisle chair that I could barely sit up in. And Jessie is hysterically crying, broken down. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just don't know how to make this good. I don't know what to do. And I don't know what it was. I don't know. I couldn't cry. I just couldn't. I, I, I was even thinking in the moment, like, why are you not why are you not crying? Like, why are you not upset? And I think it was like every single time 
I told myself, like, man, this really sucks. I was more overwhelmed with the fact that I was in my favorite city with my best friend. And, you know, I felt lucky still. And I felt like, you know, it's it's going to be okay. You guys are going to find a way to make this work. You always do. And, you know, I knew that if I let myself cry in that moment, if I let that defeat um, the good that was happening, then I wasn't going to really enjoy this trip for what it was. And I wasn't going to, you know, take in what was happening around me. And so as we drove off from the airport to our hotel, I just remember being swallowed by the skyscrapers around me in this, in this taxi. And, um, you know, I was in the city that I dreamt about my whole life, but just half of me wasn't there. And, um, so we got back, we got to the hotel and, um, we ended up, um, realizing that there was a ramp that had to be assembled in order to get into the hotel. It didn't even just naturally have a ramp. And so it was just little things like that that we were realizing were going to be really hard. And so more than anything now, I know I can make it in that city, even if half of me isn't there. So, like, I'll make it there one day when all of me is. And um, But going back to the wheelchair situation, we called the next morning and they're like, yeah, we don't know when we're going to be able to get your chair back to you. Um, we think it's broken. We can't get it to turn on. And so I'm just like, I'm just upset at that point. But, you know, I'm like, there's nothing we can do about it. So we end up calling a hover around wheelchair company and um, that just found and rented a wheelchair from them. And um, that's what I was in for most of the trip which was fine because it gave me a little bit more mobility back and independence in that way. But again, it's not the chair that holds me up and supports me in the ways that I need. So I was exhausted just sitting up in this chair that wasn't made for me. And, um, you know, when just sitting up is such a taxing thing, um, things become a little bit less enjoyable. But I was so enchanted by this city that I think that really kept me going. Did they eventually find Glam? So they did find Glam. She was broken. So they were working on her. And I got Glam back on the last night of our trip. So I had to make it work with the other chair most of the time. But the last night ended up being the best night of the whole trip. Hey, you're listening to The Obvious Question, and I'm your co-host, Becky Smith. So KBIA has some other podcasts you should check out as well, including Show Me the State, hosted by Christopher Husted. This podcast takes a look at myths and lore from Missouri history and figures out how that's still impacting the state today. We also have the True False podcast, which is an in-depth look at documentary film. You can find this and all of our podcasts at kbia.org or wherever you get your podcasts today. When it comes to travel, um, people who are mobility impaired in any way are almost kind of discouraged. And it's such a small portion of flyers that use mobility aids that... What do you mean? Wheelchairs, power or not, canes, those sorts of things? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
um, that the airlines don't really, they've never improved how they handle that. Um, wheelchairs and mobility aids always are stored with luggage, which is very dangerous. You're putting a very expensive piece of medical equipment, you know, that's very vulnerable to the elements with all these heavy suitcases that just bang into it. And I've heard horror stories. I've had my chair broken on our way back from New York. Um, we had my chair broken in Dallas when we had a departing flight from Dallas to St. Louis. And um, they completely broke my switch box off. They um, just broke my chair in a lot of ways. And I was just so exhausted by the end of this trip. And I got sick while I was in New York because I didn't have the support that I needed physically. Um, and I ended up in the hospital with um, RSV, and which is just like a common cold, but for me it turns really bad really quickly and can kill me if it gets bad enough. And um, so, yeah, I, I went from the airport back to school, and then like a day later I was in the hospital. And um, it's just, like, so frustrating because I think had they not done that, like, had they handled me with more care, had they handled my situation with more care and been more careful about my power chair, maybe I wouldn't have been in the hospital. Um, and then it just makes me angry because I think, you know, how many people does this happen to? And, um, you know, it's just why am I expected to be separated from my legs in order to fly but I can get on a bus and they can just hook me down. And it's just like, I just don't understand why they can't figure out a way that's more comfortable, not only for me, but gives less liability to them for damaging equipment. You know, if they damage this power chair, they have to buy a new one. That's 60 grand that they risk paying. And my chair gets a little bit broken, at least every time I fly. Well, I mean, what about the other things, you know, beyond mobility aids, you know, what about oxygen when you're flying? When I fly, I have to use this clunky um, portable concentrator that actually doesn't go up to the liter flow that I require. So it's just not enough air. Yeah. And there's not enough room to store it. And it's really difficult to change the battery and do all those things. And um, it's loud whenever the battery dies. And the battery only lasts about 30 minutes at a time. So you have to rent multiple batteries, which rack up in price. It's about... Right. Um, 50 bucks per battery. You have to have enough batteries to cover the flight and a half. So I have to get multiple batteries. I think I had four batteries. So that's $200 just to be able to breathe on the flight. What are some of the consequences of only being able to take a portable oxygen concentrator? So I require five liters of oxygen uh, 24-7 and being on a portable concentrator, um, I can only go up to three liters. So I'm a little under oxygenated when I do that. And um, also, it's just very difficult for me to um, get around using the portable one because instead of having a small tank that can fit on the back of my chair, I have a rolly backpack looking thing that has to be plugged in most of the time. And I only get about 30 minutes per battery. Um, and the batteries are heavy. Um, the machine itself is a little heavy. It's probably like 20 pounds. Um, it is just a difficult 
it's a lot more difficult, not only for me, but for whoever is traveling with me to have to navigate. And they basically, I have like a leash because they have to stay in sync with me and we have to make sure we don't get caught in the doors and we don't, um, you know, we don't turn at the wrong time and then get the wire tangled in my wheels. And it's just very scary to, um, you know, trust that I'm just going to be okay. I can't, you know, I have to be careful about drinking when I travel because I can't, you know, having one casual drink can be bad. And so I have to be more careful, which like isn't a major deal. Like I just won't drink. Um, but it's just like annoying because I want to be able to enjoy my time and be on vacation, but instead I have to be very responsible and very, um, just like not like carefree Mm -hmm. and, um, Nothing like a more stressful vacation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not that things aren't stressful here, but like, you know how you're getting around, you know what you're breathing, like all those sorts of things. And there's, there's just, it seems like there's so many more moving parts when you're not at home. Yeah. Which is crap because like, why shouldn't people with disabilities travel? Why shouldn't they be in all these places? But it's just been, it's been made so hard. You know, one barrier after another barrier after another barrier after another barrier to even get somewhere, let alone enjoy your experience there. Also, an experience I had with, you know, airport um, special assistance people. I was I went to L.A. in January with my friend Natalie and um, I went for I was being flown out for uh, Pretty Little Things International Women's Day campaign that I was a part of. And um it was this exciting trip. I was so ready to do it. And I called the airport 24 hours in advance, like I said, um, to make sure that everything was fine, that they knew the make and model of my chair and that this flight was going to be able to hold it because this is a big fear of mine now that that's happened in the past. And they're like, yeah, like that should be fine, Natalie. And I go, oh, actually, I'm Madison. And she's like, okay, well, it says that your friend Madison here uses a power wheelchair. And I said multiple times throughout this conversation that I was Madison and I use a power wheelchair and it like couldn't click in this woman's head that she could be having a rational discussion with a person that is talking about their own medical equipment. Like I couldn't possibly be Madison and also have an intellectual conversation about this. Right. And so it just was that was very frustrating for me. I actually did get angry and I did get like snippy with her on the phone because I was like that's absolutely ridiculous like I you should be able to have an adult conversation with a person that uses a wheelchair like what year are you living in right and um and also like even when we're at the airport people always want to talk to whoever I'm with but they don't want to answer to me and I'm like no like they don't know shit about my wheelchair I'll be able to tell you about my wheelchair and um so it's just kind of frustrating to um you know, not be taken very seriously because of what I look like. And it's very belittling. I'm like called sweetie and those kinds of things. And they ask my friends how I want to be lifted instead of me. And um, so it's just very frustrating all around to kind of be regarded as, you know, an object in a chair and not a person that is getting on a flight. Yeah. 
Support for KBIA and for the Obvious Question podcast comes from Kilgore's Medical Pharmacy. Locally owned and supporting the community with delivery, a drive through and three locations in Columbia and Ashland. And the SYNC program for medications. Learn more at kilgoresrx.com. Kilgore's, we make you feel better. You know, Maddie, we've talked a lot about airports, and I want us to talk a little bit about, like, ground transportation, too. And so we went to Baltimore recently for a conference together, and um, they have accessible taxis there, but we did run into some problems. So there honestly aren't a lot of um, accessible um, last-minute taxi-type vehicles available, like, anywhere. Um but I kind of expected Baltimore, a bigger city, um, to have those things more readily available than they do here in Columbia, at least. Um, like, again, here in Columbia, it's about a 45-minute wait, um, and it's also expensive to do that. But whenever we were in Baltimore, um, we used an accessible taxi to get from the airport home to the hotel, but... On a Sunday when we were heading back, um, we called the front desk and we asked, hey, can somebody order us a taxi? And they said, oh, accessible taxis don't run on Sundays. So I'm just not supposed to exist on Sundays, I guess. And so we were like, well, what do we do? We end up calling around and... um, I mean, it was four of us? There were four of us calling and (laughs) our friends Aviva and Kyra were calling... um, this one taxi place and um, Aviva just kept getting sent in circles um, and they were like, she was like, do you guys have accessible taxis? And they were like, oh, you mean like vans? And she's like, vans with a lift or ramp. And they go, hold on. And they sent her in circles to like five different people just to answer a yes or no question. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, no, like, do you have lifts or ramps in your taxis? Like, yes or no. And they just go, oh, we don't know. Our wheelchair specialist isn't here. And so uh, they're like, they aren't here on weekends. Like, they couldn't even tell her if they had accessible taxis or not. And it's just like a simple thing turns... Horrific. So complicated. It was awful. So we had to walk a mile in the rain. And um, rain and power wheelchairs aren't friends. And neither are oxygen concentrators and rain so we had to drag that covered in a raincoat <laughs> then i had a raincoat or i had an umbrella held over me and we were trying to stay dry and also make it to this bus and we did make it but it was a very tight squeeze and it was difficult to get our luggage and everything onto this bus in a safe way while not blocking the aisles for everybody and also while parking me in a good place And it was just so miserable to, you know, and we were waiting for this bus and the bus was late and we were all just like panicking. Like, what do we even do? Like, what do we even do if this doesn't work? And we literally made it just in the nick of time. Well, literally a 15 minute delay. I've never in my life been happy for a delay in an airport until that moment. As soon as we got there, we had to board and it was they were, they were holding people up for us. Literally, people were waiting in line until we got there. <laughs> and they were like, we knew you'd show up. And I was like, wow. It, it was, was hard. It was rough. Mess. It was a mess. We made it work because we had to. But I understand, like, 
you know, people always say like, oh, it's inspiring to see people like you out and about, but they don't even know why. Like they don't even know. It's really hard. Like it's hard to be places that are not at home. And, you know, I never want to let that stop me from doing things. And luckily I have like a fighting spirit and I'm somebody that isn't, you know, sitting still is my biggest fear, which is also ironic, but, um, you know, I'm never going to be that person <laughs> that doesn't do things because they're difficult, but I'm never going to be that person that shuts the fuck up about it either. So you're going to have to listen to me, bitch, until you fix it. So fix it. So what do you want people to know, both people with disabilities who are wondering if this is something they can do or maybe able-bodied peers want to know what they can do to help? Um, I think people should be aware of just how difficult it is for people that have disabilities to travel. Um, I know I've been in line before getting onto a plane and people are like, oh, like disabled people get to board early. Like I've even had people claim that they're my relatives trying to get on the plane with us, not recognizing all the struggles that, you know, the reasons why we get on first. Um, I think if you see somebody being treated like shit, do something. Like don't just sit there. Don't just let them have to fight those battles on their own. Like, you know, be an ally in those situations. Don't let people treat people like shit pretty much um you know it's one thing to have to fight those battles and um you know people's mobility aids should not be treated as luggage these are literal body parts and they're things that make people feel safe and whole and complete and you know without without them when they're misplaced or damaged it really affects the quality of a person's trip. And, you know, it's just honestly ridiculous in the fact that we haven't made any progress in how well people that have disabilities are treated on flights and really effed up. And I don't know why more people aren't doing things about it because um, I wrote an article about this in Cools magazine that I think August, and between January and April, the number of chairs that were damaged was over 2,000 just in the U.S., and that is ridiculous. That's so many chairs, and that's so many people's entire trips that are messed up, and that's Potentially not- ruined. Potentially ruined, I mean, yeah. not to say that it's ruined, but, like, it makes it so hard to do anything. I just don't see how more isn't being done about it because it's not just, you know, one in every thousand wheelchairs. It's almost every wheelchair. And there's such a low percentage of people that do fly because they're unable to do so in a way that's safe for them and their equipment. And the equipment that we have costs thousands and thousands of dollars. And... To have that broken and potentially not replaced for months at a time really affects our whole life and our health. You have still fought back against the system that tries to disable you, right? That that doesn't treat your wheelchair, doesn't treat Glamatron like she's, you know, anything more than luggage. But what is your like note to other people who use mobility aids, other people in chairs? What do you want them to know about traveling? I want you to know that in some situations, 
being confrontational is the only option. And I used to be very passive. I used to be very like, go with the flow, just like stay calm. And I used to be used to the whole idea of like, you know, oh, I can't always do this. So it's not a big deal. But you know, situations like these reawakened that fire in me. It's like, no, this isn't okay. Like I, I made it here. I want to be here. I deserve to be here. And I'm not gonna, just let myself be treated that way anymore. And sometimes you just have to be an asshole in order to get taken care of, and that's just a fact. Because the things that you're fighting for are basic human rights, and so you shouldn't have to even like ask somebody to do those things. So you're not being an asshole even though it feels like that. It's okay to be confrontational. You should be angry. You have every right to be. We should all be angry. We should all be pissed. Like, there's already so many things that we can't do. Flying shouldn't be one of those things. Special thanks to the whole obvious question team. This episode was produced by me, Becky Smith. The supervising producers are myself and Aaron Hay. Our managing editor is Ryan Fumulner, and our online and social was done by Nathan Lawrence. This has been The Obvious Question. I'm Maddie Lawson. And I'm Becky Smith. Thanks for listening.